Good morning. We are going to finish our Advent series this morning on the book of Zephaniah. So if you have a Bible and you want to work on finding Zephaniah, we're going to look at Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20, which in my opinion is one of the most beautiful passages in the entire Bible. Um, after we've been looking the first three weeks, um, well, the first two weeks we were looking a lot at how the first two chapters of Zephaniah were, were all about the judgment of God and his anger and his wrath against our sin. And, um, and then it, it takes a turn, thankfully, in the second half of Zephaniah chapter three. Um, and, uh, and we looked last week about how God promises to change us. And that is such incredibly good news. But now we're going to look at the fact that God promises us joy and urges us to embrace joy now, today. And um, I, however, it's, it's, you know, however you can listen to this best, I encourage you to listen. Okay? This is one of those passages where it, may, it might be best for me to just read it and then sit down. And you guys might be being like, why didn't he just do that? But, uh, but I encourage you to just listen, whether, whether you, it helps you to like read along in the, in the bulletin or in your Bible, or just close your eyes and listen to what God says here through Zephaniah. Listen to God's word. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies the king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. He, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors and I will save the lame and gather the outcast and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you in at, that at the time when I gather you together for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us. We need your spirit to speak. To help us to understand what you're saying here. To help us understand how you want us to respond. To help us to understand what it means to live with the joy that you present here. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you have been enjoying it, but I've been watching the World Cup and I've been enjoying watching a lot. And uh, if you know anything about the World Cup, if you care anything about the World Cup, um, enough to find out what happens, you know, as the final is being played right now, please don't tell me after the service. <laughs> because I'm planning on watching it later. So have mercy, okay? Um, 
But you know, even though when I DVR the games, I miss like one of my favorite parts of the games. My favorite part doesn't even have to do with soccer. Um, one of my favorite parts of the game is before the game starts, when the teams come out and line up on the field and they play the national anthems for both teams. Because it's just, I, I love to observe how the players sing their national anthems and then it shows the crowd and I love to observe the crowd and I always kind of try to evaluate, okay, which country wins the battle of the national anthems, you know? And, uh, and it's often very obvious. Um, I know it's, it's, it's a cultural thing, probably has a lot to do with it, but there are some teams, they just stand there, you know, completely stoically, they, they show no emotion, they barely even mouth the words, some of them don't even sing, and then it shows the other team, and they start playing, and these guys sing with all their hearts. They're like, no matter how bad of a singer they are, they're just singing as loudly as they possibly can. They have so much passion, they have so much pride in their country, they have so much joy at just being there and being part of the World Cup. And it's, it's, it's beautiful to see because like as they, as, the, as they play it, the team sings it, the camera like pans down the entire, entire team. And as it, as it goes past each person's face, you can actually hear their voice, you know? And it's so funny because a lot of these guys, they cannot sing a note. It's, it's like really hard to listen to. And yet it's beautiful because they're just singing with abandon. They're singing with abandon. And then it shows the crowd and some of these people are just like singing. They're screaming as they're singing. And like there are tears streaming down their faces and smudging their face paint, you know? And it's just, it's, it's awesome to see. I love it. I love it. So I am going to miss that part of the World Cup today, but uh, what can you do? I, I just love how these people there, these people who sing with such, you know, they sing loudly, passionately because they feel it deeply, you know? Now, as God's people, I think we should be the sort of people that live our lives as those who sing at the top of their lungs because we feel it deeply. We feel what God has done for us deeply. It should be obvious to everybody around us. The joy that we experience should be obvious to everybody around us. Not that we should be singing everywhere we go, but I, when I say singing, I, I use that as a representation of just our, our attitude, our, our, our um, perspective towards life. It should be deep, it should be passionate, it should, it should be full of joy. Verse 14 should describe me. Verse 14 should describe all of us, where it says, Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion, as, as Zephaniah speaks to the people of Israel. As, as they anticipate the judgment of God, but they also anticipate the fact that God is going to do something amazing. And in, in light of what God is going to do, and he tells them, sing aloud, shout, shout. Rejoice and exult with all your heart. Feel it deeply. Rejoice. That's how we should be living our lives as those guys who sing the national anthem with reckless abandon, no matter how bad of a voice we have. It should show in the way that we live. The disappointing thing as I look at my life, and I suspect others look at, at my life, I think a lot of the times, maybe when, when people look at me, they, they see me more as those guys who just stand there, you know, kind of mouthing the words. Mouthing the words to what God has done and who he is, rather than singing with all my heart as loudly as I possibly can. 
And what I think this passage does for us is he, he commands us to sing, he commands us to rejoice, and he gives us, I, I see three reasons in here that he gives us to rejoice, to feel it deeply, to live with a, do, a joy that is so deep and so passionate that it's obvious to everyone. And so the, the first thing, the first reason he gives us, he, he tells us to sing aloud and rejoice because of what the song is about because of what the song is about that we're singing. Um, I, I have to say, lyrics are incredibly important to me. When I listen to music, um, the lyrics are essential. They're crucial. Um, if, if no matter how good of a beat a song has, no matter how catchy a melody a song might have, if it doesn't, if the lyrics don't move me, if the content of the song doesn't catch me and, and move me, and, and, uh, th then I'm not interested in listening to it. I, I might listen to it once and then I'm, I'm done. I can't listen to it over and over again unless the, the, the words actually mean something significant to me. I don't know if that's true of you or not. But I think lyrics are incredibly important. I, I, it's, I find it frustrating sometimes when I, you know, I'll, I'll hear a song that I loved when I was a kid from back like in the 80s or something like that. And, uh, and I'll be like, oh, I used to sing along to that song all the time. You know, it was on the radio. And then I'll start singing along to it now and I'll be like, what on earth was I singing? It's just embarrassing, you know? <laughs> but it happens at Christmas time, too. I mean, you know, we, we often sing songs at Christmas that we don't really actually know what we're singing. I mean, I, I wonder, how many of you guys even know what the word Noel means? We just sang that song. How many of us even know the word Noel? I'm not going to put you on the spot right now. You can debate about it after the service. But if you want to know, you can ask me. I looked it up a few years ago. Um, and I think I saw Chuck posted something on, on Facebook uh, maybe this past week or a week uh, more than that ago where he talks about the, uh, the, the Christmas song, uh, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. I mean, I've, all, I've been singing that song for a long time, and I just always assumed it was about, like, being joyful and happy, you know, and chilling out. God rest ye merry gentlemen, right? But actually, that's not what it's about at all. I mean, that, when that was written, the word merry actually meant mighty, and strong, you know, and rest meant to, to keep someone and to, 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 to make someone that way. And so, so what we're saying is, may, may God make us strong and mighty because of what Jesus has done and who he is, you know? And so, uh, you know, we, we often, especially at Christmas, we'll sing songs that we don't even know what we're singing. And, uh, and he urges us here, we need to rejoice and we need to rejoice because of the lyrics of the song, because of what the song is about. How do we know what the song is about? Well, you just look at the very next verse in verse 15. This is what the lyrics of the song are about. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. It's as simple as that. This is why we should sing aloud. This is why we should have joy because God has poured out grace upon us. He's taken away his judgments against us. The first two and a half chapters of Zephaniah, he has been talking about how all of the people of Israel, all people everywhere deserve the judgment of God. We deserve his anger. We deserve his wrath. Why? Because we've all sinned against him. Every single one of us. In, in, in blatant ways, but also in subtle ways. We've all been living for ourselves rather than him. We've been wrapped up in ourselves rather than him rather than loving him, rather than loving others. Every single one of us 
has sinned. And, and, we, and because of our sin, because of the sinfulness that's in our hearts, what we deserve is separation from God. What we deserve is judgment from God. What we deserve is to be cast out of God's presence. That's what the people of Judah deserved. And yet, what does he say to them? The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. Even the tense of the verb, he has, he has taken it away. He's talking about, he, he refers to it in the past tense because it is so certain, even though it's a future thing. That, there, there's nothing more significant than that for each and every one of us. You know, all of us think about the things that we long for, the things that we want, the things that we need in life, the things that we think will give us joy. And there's plenty of things that give us a little bit of joy and a little bit of happiness. But the fundamental thing that every single one of us needs is we need God. We need God to say, I love you. I'm on your side. That is what we need. That is what will give us joy that is unlike anything else. And that's exactly what he promises. He says, the Lord has taken away the judgments against you. This is what we have to sing about. God's grace. The fact that he gives us what, the opposite of what we deserve. There is nothing more profound, nothing more significant, nothing more important to sing about and have joy about. If you get nothing else this Christmas, think about what God has already given you. He's forgiven you because of what he's done for you in Jesus. That is what Christmas is about. Jesus came to live and to die, to take upon himself the judgment we deserve so God could say, I've taken the judgments away. And you, I am on your side. I will love you forever. Sing aloud. Shout. This is what we have to rejoice about. This is what we have to sing about. But this passage doesn't just urge us to sing and rejoice because of the truth of the song, because of the lyrics of the song. He tells us to rejoice because of who sings with us. Did you notice that? Look at verses 15 to 17. The second half of 15 starts out, it says, The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hand, hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. He's here. He's in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. And how does verse 17 end? He will exult over you with loud singing. He says rejoice. Not just because of what you have to rejoice about, but because of who is singing with you. God is here in your midst and he wants to sing with you. He wants to do a duet with you, in a sense. Out of his joy, out of his love. At first we're told to sing, but now at the end of verse 17, we're told that God is singing too. Have you noticed that singing alone isn't nearly as fun as singing with somebody else? For most of us, I think that's true. If anybody ever, ever does karaoke, you know, it's, it's one thing to do karaoke and sing up there on the stage by yourself, but when somebody else comes up there who's a lot of fun, like, it just, it just ex, you know, exponentially increases the joy that you have. 
That's what God wants to do. He's, he steps up on the stage with us to sing alongside us. Think about the sort of singer that God is. He's the sort of singer that is able to carry the tune. It says he's mighty to save. He is mighty to save. He is able to carry us. He is strong enough to carry the tune perfectly, no matter how bad of a singer we are. It says he will quiet us with his love. And when I, think, when I hear that verse, I think of a, often parents will sing to their little children, won't they? Whether it's a lullaby or to, or to calm them or to console them, a parent will often sing to their child. I was thinking, of what, what is, why is that? What, is, what does that do for the child when a parent sings for them? When a parent sings a lullaby? Well, I think it reminds the child of, of the fact that their, their mom or dad is close. They can hear their voice. The, the voice is familiar, you know? Um, it, it's consoling because they're reminded of the, the love and the, the loving presence of their parent. And God says, I am here, I am with you to take care of you. You don't have to be afraid. No matter what you're facing in your life, no matter how hard it is, I'm here to sing comfort, familiarity of my love for you. That's the sort of singer he is. And, and he's the sort of singer who really is the life of the party. He's the life of the party, right? Says he will rejoice over you with gladness. God is full of joy himself. He's more full of joy than, than we could ever even imagine. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will exult over you with loud singing. God loves to sing loudly because he's full of joy as well. It's fun to be around him. I wonder if they had karaoke back in Jesus' day, you know, what it would be like to be at a, a party where they're doing karaoke. I, th I imagine Jesus would be up there with his buddies, the disciples, singing alongside them, encouraging them. No matter how bad of a singer they were, he would just, he would delight in them, enjoy them. That's the kind of God he is. That's the kind of singer he is. He enjoys us. He enjoys our singing, no matter how bad it is. He's the life of the party. This is the one we need to learn to live life with. I, I would say that living the Christian life, uh, one important dynamic of it is learning to live in the presence of a God who is the life of the party. Learning to live in the presence of a God who is full of joy. Learning to live in the presence of a God who wants me to enjoy life and delight, it, delight in it myself. You know, learning to live in the presence of a God who says, I'm here and, and I wanna sing about how much I love you. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm capable of carrying the tune, especially when you feel weak and you feel like you can't carry it yourself. He's more than capable of carrying you right now. We need to learn to li live in the presence of a God who is full of joy, who is, a life of the, who is the life of the party. And I, I, I know it's, it's hard for me because I, I know that my joy can be smothered at times by the things that I'm worried about, the things that are happening in my family, the things that are happening in, happening in the church. My, my joy can be dulled by loss, you know, in this past week by by lost the death of Walt Hoffman, my joy can be dimmed. My joy can be dulled 
by things going wrong, by frustrations that I face, by things just not going the way that I want them to today, by the fact that my child is sick, you know, and, and he couldn't sleep the other night. And that, my, that, that especially can dim and dull my joy in life. And yet I need to remember that God is so full of joy. His joy is enough. <laughs> it's enough for me, even in the midst of those times. And I need to learn to live in, in, in light of the fact that he's present. He's here. Lastly, he tells us to rejoice because of what the song has the power to do. Verses 18 to 20 describe what God is going to do. He says, I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Those people who are mourning, I think it's very possible it's these people who cannot participate in the, the worship rituals of Israel because maybe, you know, for, for different reasons, they are unclean. And he says, I'm going to gather you guys, and I'm going to change things for you. You're no longer going to suffer reproach. You're not, no longer going to suffer shame. Behold, at that time I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame. I will change your fortune. I will change your life. I will make you whole. I will gather the outcast, those people who feel isolated and alone. I'm going to bring you near, and I'm going to change things for you. I'm going to restore you. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth. I'm going to change things for you. Before your very eyes, I will restore your fortunes. That is what God promises to do. He promises restoration. He promises to make all that is broken whole again. He promises to heal all those who are injured he promises to restore, to heal, to save, to make the people whole, to give people glory, renown, and praise who only experience shame. He, he plans to reverse all the effects of sin and the curse in the, war, in the world. That's what he plans to do. That's what he promises to do to restore everything that was broken. There, there's a, a Disney movie, Tangled. I don't know how many of you guys have seen that movie about Rapunzel with the really long hair. And in the movie, Rapunzel's hair has this magical power to heal things and to restore things. And so um, this like wicked witch woman, um, Mother Gothel, I think her name is. I'm not sure exactly. She has, has trapped Rapunzel up in this, in this tower and is basically using Rapunzel to keep herself young. She would continually visit Rapunzel and, and sing this song that, that makes her hair glow and then that gives her youth again. And eventually Rapunzel escapes the tower and she meets, meets this guy, Flynn Ryder, and they're both kind of on the run together and, and he injures his hand at one point. I think it gets cut, gets cut in a sword fight or something and they're sitting there kind of around a campfire and, uh, and she's like, you promise you don't freak out? And, and he's like, what? What do you mean? I don't know. And, and she takes his hand and she wraps her hair around his hand and she starts singing this song. And the words of the song go like this. They go, flower, gleam and glow. Let your power shine. Make the clock reverse. Bring back what once was mine. Heal what has been hurt. Change the fate's design. Save what has been lost. Bring back what once was mine. 
and his hand, and, his, and her hair glows, and his hand immediately heals, and is back to normal, and he starts freaking out immediately. But this is what God promises to do for us, for his people. As he sings, his song has the power to make us whole again, to heal all that is broken, all that we experience, to, to take away everything that we shed tears over. That is what his song has the power to do. His, his song has the power to, to restore us so that we become the people that God has made us to be. To take away not only the, the, our guilt, but, but the power of sin and our shame. His song has the power to bring healing and wholeness. And as we live our lives, as we are confronted every day with the way that sin has broken the world, we need to remember what God is going to do. What God is going to do. He will make whole what is broken. He will heal what is hurt. And he will even bring life out of death. All for those who hope in him. For those who, who listen to his song, who sing along with him, who rejoice in what he has done. At the center of the song, is this, of this command to sing, is, is the person of Jesus. At the center of this command to sing, we see Jesus. He is the one who dies for us to take away God's judgment. He is the one who fulfills the promise. He, he came and was born, right? Emmanuel. God with us. That's what the angel said to Matthew, in Matthew 1, to Joseph. It says, Jesus comes to be God in your midst. That's the fulfillment of these very verses. He's at the center of the song. And it's in the person of Jesus that we see already God doing what he promises here. To reverse the curse as Jesus rises from the dead. As he rises, all that is broken is made whole. And Jesus is the foretaste of what all of us will experience who, are trust, who have trusted in him. We will experience wholeness and joy. That is what we have to look forward to. And so he calls us, he commands us to sing aloud. Sing aloud. As loudly as we can. I think the problem is a lot of us, maybe we might hold back. We might hold back. We might be reluctant to sing as loudly as we should because maybe we don't want to be disappointed. Maybe we're self-conscious. Um, I've referenced this movie maybe a couple times already in the last couple weeks, but uh, the movie Elf, one of my favorite movies at this time of year, um, there's the character Walter Hobbs, who is Buddy the Elf's father. And he is, uh, you know, he's... He's, I've talked about him before, but he's grumpy and he's selfish and he's just all he cares about work and profits and doesn't care about people and, and he doesn't believe, right? He doesn't believe in Christmas. He doesn't believe in Santa. And, uh, and there's this point in the movie, I think the movie's old enough that I can talk about the ending, but uh, there's this point in the movie where um, Santa is, you know, it's Christmas Eve and Santa's sleigh crashes in Central Park. And uh, for many years, they've been using an engine on Santa's sleigh because there isn't enough Christmas spirit to power the sleigh by itself. Normally, that used to, the sleigh used to be powered by just Christmas spirit alone. 
but I can't do that anymore. The engine falls off and he crashes in Central Park. And he's trying to, you know, Buddy finds him and they're trying to get it repaired. And they're like, if only we had some more Christmas spirit. Maybe we could, you know, get this thing to lift off. And, uh, and then uh, there's this crowd forming outside of Central Park and news trucks are coming because they've seen something happen. And then uh, Buddy's girlfriend, Jovi, uh, remembers Buddy saying something, uh, something to the effect, you know, the best way to spread Christmas, sh- Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. You guys remember that line from the movie? And so she stands up on a park bench and she, she starts singing. Santa Claus is coming to town. And she just keeps singing. And then other people in the crowd start singing along with her. And then she just starts to try to sing louder and everybody starts to sing louder with her. And the, camera, the, the, the TV cameras are, are zooming in on her and people are watching from all over the place in bars and at home. And they all start singing as well. And all of a sudden Santa's sleigh starts to raise off the ground. Um, but it doesn't have enough power yet. And, and as everybody is singing, it's, it, you know, he's starting to kind of fly through Central Park, and it, but he's like, I don't know if we're going to be able to get out of here. And, and um, Buddy's father, Walter, has now come, and he's kind of had a change of heart. He's left his work. He's like, I'm going to choose family over my job. And, and he gets there, and, and he's staying there with his other young son, and, and everybody's singing, and he's like standing there with them, kind of singing along, but he's not really singing. He's just kind of mumbling the words quietly, and his son looks up at him and he's like, Dad, you're not singing. And so finally, Walter just digs deep within himself. You know, whatever the reason, you know, he's just not used to it. He's, he's, he's reluctant. He's self-conscious. But he finally digs deep into his heart and he belts it out. Santa Claus is coming to town. And at that moment, Santa's sleigh just like takes off, right? That is what God demands that we do no matter how self-conscious we might be, no matter how worried we might be, uh, that we might be disappointed, he won't disappoint you. Embrace the joy that he wants to give you today. The joy that Jesus has come to take away your sin, to take away the judgment of God. The joy that God is with you, no matter how hard life might be right now. God is with you. And he wants to sing, to, to, to comfort you, but also to, to, to carry you and, and to bring joy to your life. And think about what he's planning to do as he rest- plans to restore all that is broken and wipe away every tear. Let's sing aloud. Let's sing aloud. In a few minutes, we're going to sing joy to the world. Let's sing. Let's sing, and then let's walk out of here singing not just with our lungs, but with our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would help us, each and every one of us, to dig deep and to sing. To sing with all our heart, to rejoice, to exult with all our heart because of who you are, because of what you have done, because of what you promised to do. There's nothing more worthy of our voice, of our heart. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are now going to meet Jesus at the Lord's table. And um, if you did not receive the elements when you came in,